The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host, and I'm going to be taking a little break for the holidays. This will be my last original episode until 2022, but uh, if you feel the need, you got to have your Hollywood and Levine. You can always scroll through and check out some of the archive episodes that you may have missed. Also, the way I thought I would structure this week, it's the type of episode that you might want to listen to a second or third time. Because what I want to talk about this week is some classic comedians and classic comedy bits. And those are the kind of things that are really kind of fun to listen to more than once. So that's this week on Hollywood and Levine. We're going to start off with Albert Brooks. Now, you may know Albert Brooks from his movies. You may know him as a voice in Finding Nemo. But he really started out doing stand-up and very brilliant, different, conceptual stuff. Uh, None of the comedians that I'm going to be presenting today are the kind that would just get up there and do jokes. You're not going to have any Rodney Dangerfields. Not that Rodney Dangerfield wasn't great, but that's not what we're going to be focusing on here this week. So Albert Brooks had a great routine about rewriting the national anthem. And in this particular bit, he basically is uh, taking auditions for a new national anthem. It's pretty hysterical. Here's Albert Brooks. The, the national anthem, what happened? Oh, someone got up. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to stand. <laughs> uh, the, national, the national anthem of this country, the Star Spangled Banner, is going to have to be rewritten. Uh, very soon. Nobody sings it on, on the way to work anymore. Remember the good old days? You'd pass a guy going to work. Oh, say, can you see? Hello, Dr. Brown. <laughs> they don't do that. What's the fair way to rewrite this kind of a song? By the way, you people here, you really can't see during this bit, can you? Because the piano. Those are the goon seats. <laughs> You'll find a picture and a resume under the seat. Read along. Let me update it. Put down riding and swimming, okay? (laughs) 
What's the fair way to rewrite a song like that, a national song? Do you hire the country's most popular songwriter, what, Burt Bacharach, let him do it? That's not fair. No, why? Let one hire a professional? You wouldn't want that song anyway. Hey, no place. It's got trees, it's got mountains. Uh, I think the fair way to rewrite the song is to hold open auditions. Put a piano, put a good piano, let everyone sound good, in a building in Washington, get a, get a panel of judges, and hold auditions for the new national anthem. So... Let's go to Washington to those auditions now. Not literally, of course. I meant comedically. <laughs> Listen, I said, last night I said that, and 30 people went out in the alley and waited for, like, a bus to take them. And, of course, there was no bus there, and I felt like a fool. <laughs> All right, please be quiet. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot of you. We've got to get through it. Very, please be quiet. Very quickly. Sit down at the piano. State your name, where you're from. Play your song. All right? Don't give us any tight. Please be quiet. Don't give us any titles. We'll call them all the anthem. If we like it, we'll get your title from you later, okay? State your name, where you're from, play your song. We'll stop you when we've heard enough. Let's go quickly. You're first. First? <laughs> Ted Rutherford? <laughs> Dallas? Texas? Here to my left are the anthemites. 
And we're from Sarasota, Florida. Ready? Say ooh ooh, I like the USA. Ooh, it's better than Russia or China. Ooh, it's better than Yugoslavia. Thank you. Thank you. Can the lights be changed at all? All right, it's not important. Before I sing my song, I should tell you a bit about myself. My name is Mr. Robert Bob Harmon, and I currently live and work in the very exciting city of Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm an entertainer. And you know, Vegas is a, a great place, an exciting place, but originally I'm from a, a much quieter place, a place up north out west, a place I call Portland. What a great place it is. In one 30-square-mile radius, there's more to do than almost anywhere in the world. There's hunting and fishing and boating and camping. Get on with it! <laughs> I am. It's how I get into it in the actors. It's got beautiful waterfalls and gorgeous trees, but you know, it's part of a bigger place. It's part of a, a country. Can you guess which country it is? <laughs> no, it's not Denmark or Poland or Sweden or Rome. Get on with it! It's a lovely place I call home, I'm proud to say. I've got a country. Got a country. I spell it A-M-E-R-I-C-A. Get off his name! Thank you. The New National Anthem by Albert Brooks. Now I want to focus on Richard Pryor. Back in 1974, when I was living in the West Hollywood area of Los Angeles, it was very close to the comedy store, and I could just walk there. It was like only a few blocks from my crappy apartment. So I would go like on a weeknight, you know, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night and I would just kind of stagger over to the comedy store and you could just sit at the bar and you buy a drink for a couple of bucks and listen to the comedians. And I saw like all the great, you know, David Letterman and Jay Leno and, uh, you know, Gary Shandling, you know, all those guys would just come in, Robin Williams, although I later worked with Robin Williams. But, you know, there was like all these great comedians would come on and every so often, a headliner would just slide in sort of unannounced and want to just go up and do material. So one night I'm there. Again, it's like a Wednesday night at 11.15. And Richard Pryor comes in. Richard Pryor goes on stage and does 45 minutes. I have to tell you, I was so glad when he finished because... My sides were aching. He was so unbelievably funny. And I thought about it afterwards as I was walking home. I couldn't remember a single joke, a single laugh 
from his entire routine. And if you listen to a Richard Pryor routine, you'll see that's because he too doesn't do jokes. He tells stories with attitudes along the way. And you are just laughing at just the comments and the way he says things and the different voices he uses and the concepts. It's it's just really remarkable. There's never been anybody like him. I've seen a lot of comedians, a lot of amazing comedians. I mean, just you know, classic guys like Bill Cosby, that son of a bitch, and uh, Jack Benny. A lot of great comedians. Bob Newhart I've, I've seen. But nobody... Nobody made me laugh the way Richard Pryor did. And here is a sample of Richard Pryor. I cannot swim. Anybody else can't swim? See, there ain't many of us left. Most of us have drowned. I'm not bullshit, man. I was fucking with my kids, and I usually be in the shallow part, you know, just fucking around. And one time I fuck around and forgot and jumped in the deep end. And water has a way of bringing your memory back to you real quick. And all I could think of when I was talking about edge, get me to the edge, Lord, the edge. I was swimming in one spot. I'm making a whole lot of water and shit fall out of the pool, but I wasn't moving nowhere. Jack. My kids were talking about, kick your legs, daddy, kick your legs. I said, edge. And my kids was laughing at my ass. I was drowning. They thought that was funny. They laughed when I had a heart attack. They laughed. I was in the front yard. They went, ha, ha, ha. Said, Daddy's so funny. Look, he turning blue. I had to threaten to cut their allowance off to get them to call me an ambulance. My son said, oh, shit, Dad's serious. Come on, fuck with the money. Anybody here ever had a heart attack? No, a motherfucker never admit they had a heart attack, right, people? No, sir, I never did. I had indigestion one time. That motherfucker's height. I don't care what nobody tell your ass, boy. I was walking in the yard and some say, don't breathe no more. I said, huh? I said, don't breathe no motherfucking more. You heard me. Okay, I won't breathe, I won't breathe, I won't breathe. And I tried to ease a little air inside of my mouth. And I said, say, motherfucker, did I tell you not to breathe? You told me not to breathe, you told me not to breathe. Well, where are you going? Why are you walking? Stand still, motherfucker. Okay, I'll stand still. Get your ass down. Okay, I'm down, I'm down, I'm down. Don't hurt me, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. Shut the fuck up. You think about that, nah, nah. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you think about that when you was eating that pork, motherfucker? I was thinking about <laughs> Drinking that whiskey and snorting that cocaine, nigga. I didn't think about, I didn't think about. Shut the fuck. Shut up. You ain't shut up yet. <laughs> That's when you put an emergency call in to God. <laughs> Please, this is emergency. Can I talk to God? I'll have to put you on hold. <laughs> and your heart gets mad if it finds out you was going behind his back trying to talk to God. <laughs> was you trying to talk to God? No, I wasn't. You was a lying motherfucker. <laughs> I woke up in the ambulance. 
And I was looking, wasn't nothing but white people staring down at me. I said, oh, God. I'm fucked around, wind up in the wrong motherfucking heaven. So now I got to listen to Lawrence Welk the rest of my days. But they worked on my ass, man. They saved me, man. You know, they say, though, you can save people like you see them with mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I don't know. Because if I'm walking down the street and I see a motherfucker laid out right and slobber and shit hanging out their mouth, they ain't gonna make it. You know what I mean? I say, hey, bro, I don't think you're going to make it. Unless you can get somebody to wipe that shit off your mouth. Because you could be giving somebody mouth to mouth and death ease into your lungs. And death don't give a fuck where it go. And it get two for one, that's a good day. Because you can't fuck around with death, boy. Death will take you away and forget it. Unless you John Wayne or somebody can kick Death's ass. <laughs> right, John Wayne kicked Death's ass twice. Right? The motherfucker had cancer, kicked Death's ass, open heart surgery. John Wayne just said, get the fuck out of here. Death. hospital, I hope you never do, carry a small bottle of piss with you. Because you cannot pee when they ask you to in the hospital. You ever tried to fill that up? Can you turn some water on or something? You ever tried to piss in them bottles? There's something too clean about pissing in them bottles, your dick don't want to do it. I mean, your dick will look at it and say, why I got to piss in this? Oh, well, I ain't going to do it. You take me over to the toilet where I used to piss. I don't want to piss in this thing. Say, man, piss, please. I'll never be able to leave here if you don't piss. Well, I don't care. That's glass. I can catch something. You don't know who pissed in this. Right, and finally, if you do start, you can't stop, right? I mean, nurse, I need another bottle quick. so nonchalant with your piss in the hospital. Don't take me to me. This your piss? Thank you. I couldn't grab nobody's piss like that. I'd have to have some prongs and shit. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get the piss now. Clear the hallway. Okay, I got the piss. I'm coming through. That man there doesn't have the authority to be here. Back off, goddammit. And then they put you in intensive care. They put you in the room and hook your shit up with wires and shit. You be looking like Frankenstein laying there. Tubes and shit be all in your nose. You get to watch your life beep away. <laughs> like you be a machine. If you hear, cancel Christmas. One morning I woke up, I heard, I said, ah! hospital man and an old man died while I was in there old man about 97 well fuck it you might want to live to be 98 but he died 
died. And he was in room 24. I was in 25. He died. Motherfucker died dead. And I said to myself, I said, God know mathematics. After 24, come 25. And I heard the nurses and shit talking shit like, didn't you check on him? Well, he was all right two days ago. Oh, hmm. Well, if you don't say nothing, I won't say nothing. And I said, a motherfucker can die here for real and nobody give a fuck. I start tearing tubes and shit out my arm. I was trying to get out of the hospital and that dimmer I'll be fucking with you right <laughs> Nurse said, you can't leave. You lying, motherfucker. I'm going outside and die in the gutter where somebody can find my ass. I love how Richard Pryor would take real episodes of his life and turn them into hysterical stories. That's uh, Richard Pryor. Now I want to turn to Stephen Wright. And this is a guy who is kind of the anti-comedian in a way. He's a young man from New England, and he spoke in a complete monotone. I say spoke, he's still around, he's still doing it. But all of his jokes were conceptual and they were just so bizarre and again delivered in this monotone somehow made them that much funnier here's an example of Stephen Wright years ago I worked in a natural organic health food store in Seattle Washington one day a man walked in and he said if I melt dry ice can I swim without getting wet I don't know. Let me ask Tony. <laughs> Two days later, I was fired for eating cotton candy and drinking straight Bosco on the job. <laughs> so I figured I'd leave the area because I had no ties there anyway, except for this girl I was seeing. We had conflicting attitudes. I really wasn't into meditation. She really wasn't into being alive. <laughs> I told her I knew when I was going to die because my birth certificate has an expiration date on it. <laughs> I decided to leave and go to California, so I packed up my Salvador Dali print of two blindfolded dental hygienists trying to make a circle on an Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> I headed for the highway and began hitching. Within three minutes, I got picked up by one of those huge trailer trucks carrying 20 brand new cars. Climbed up the side of the cab and I opened the door and the guy said, I don't have much room in here. Why don't you get in one of the cars in the back? So I did. And he was really into picking up people because he picked up 19 more. We all had our own cars. Then he went 90 miles an hour. We all got speeding tickets. I had the photograph on my license taken out of focus on purpose. So when the police do stop me, they go. Here, you can go. 
And there is Stephen Wright. When I was producing Almost Perfect, the show starring Nancy Travis that was on CBS in the mid-90s, we did an episode where we featured Stephen Wright as a guest star. Who's kind of the blind date from hell. He was a party planner in the episode. And the cool thing about Stephen Wright is that's kind of him. <laughs> it's not really an act. Anyway, uh, we'll get to more in a moment. But first, I want to talk a little bit about Dad Grass. Now, I went to UCLA back in the late 60s. And sort of the cool thing to do that I really kind of miss was uh, I lived in the dorms, lived at Hedrick Hall. And on Friday nights, I think a bunch of us would gather in someone's dorm room and they would put aluminum foil over the windows to really darken the room. And they were like Snoopy black light posters and that kind of crap. And like a bunch of us would sit around and uh, and pass around these joints and listen to Jimi Hendrix album. We thought we were so cool. But but the joints were great and you just kind of mellowed out. And that's kind of what I miss because now that there's a lot of legal uh, marijuana out there, you take some of that and whoa, you get a buzz. And I just kind of miss that you know, little chill. And then I found out about dad grass and that is exactly what you get. Just a nice mellow feeling. And it's, uh, well, look, it's low in THC and high in CBD. I don't know what any of that means, but it apparently really is important. All I know is it works. I feel great when when I take it. Okay. All dad grass products are federally legal for ages 21 and over, and it is shipped right to your door anywhere in the U S. So, uh, I want you to try it. You don't even need the Jimi Hendrix albums or the blacklight posters, but right now check them out. Go to dad grass because they are offering listeners 20% off your first order. When you go to dad grass, dot com slash Hollywood. Once again, that is dadgrass.com slash Hollywood for 20% off your first order. Once again, dadgrass.com Hollywood. Okay, moving along here on Hollywood and Levine, I want to introduce you to Bob and Ray. Bob and Ray was actually a radio team. They were a pair of disc jockeys and, uh, just like Stephen Wright, they too started out in Boston. They made their way to New York and eventually national radio and eventually uh, even on Broadway. But the thing that's just so great about the two of them is that everything is underplayed. Everything is really low-key, but it is so funny. And these two guys have amazing timing, absolutely amazing timing. There are so many of their bits to choose from, but this is my particular favorite. It is the Komodo Dragon expert, Bob and Ray. We're delighted to have with us the world-renowned Komodo Dragon Authority (laughs) from Upper Montclair, New Jersey, Dr. Daryl Dexter. Dr. Dexter, would you tell everybody all about the Komodo Dragon, please? The Komodo Dragon is the world's largest living lizard. 
It's found on the steep-sloped island of Komodo in the lesser Sunda chain of the Indonesian archipelago and nearby Rinja, Padar, and Flores. It's a ferocious carnivory, and one swipe of its tail can render an enemy senseless. Uh, where do they come from? <laughs> The Komodo dragon, the world's largest living lizard, is found on the steep-sloped island of Komodo, hence its name, and that is in the lesser Sunda chain of the Indonesian archipelago and the nearby islands of Rinja, Padar, and Flores. We have two in this country, two Komodo dragons, which were given to us some years ago by the late former premier of Indonesia, Sukarno. I believe I read somewhere where a foreign potentate gave America some Komodo dragons. Is that true? Yes. The former premier of Indonesia, Sukarno, gifted this country with two Komodo dragons, world's largest living lizards, some years ago. And they're in the National Zoo in Washington. Well, now, if we wanted to take the children to see a Komodo dragon, uh, where would we take the children to see a Komodo dragon? If you were in the vicinity of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., you would take the kiddos to the National Zoo. And there you would see two Komodo dragons, the world's largest living lizards. There's a stuffed Komodo dragon in the lobby of the Royal Hotel in Kathmandu, Nepal. I believe they're of the lizard family, aren't they? Yes, they're the world's largest living lizard. And they're ferocious carnivory. One swipe of their tail can render an enemy well, doctor, senseless. I believe we've just about exhausted the subject. I want to thank you very much for coming by. I know it works a great hardship on you to come in here from Upper Montclair, New Jersey. Yes. And I want to thank you. Do you have a, a ride home? No, I don't. Well, uh, maybe somebody here in the audience will be kind enough to give you a lift after the show. That thank would be you. very nice. Thank you. Thank you. That is Bob and Ray. Now, about, uh, gee, like 12 years ago or so, I was directing a show in New York called Late Line that starred Al Franken. And we got Bob Elliott to come on and be a guest star. And by the way, if you're familiar with Chris Elliott, Bob Elliott from Bob and Ray is his father, was his father. He passed away, but he was quite elderly when he did. Anyway, uh, Bob Elliott came to record some voiceovers. And he showed up at lunch, and I got a chance to meet with him and get a picture with him. I'm staring at the picture with him right now. And uh, so now we go down to the set, and uh, it's the full crew because this was camera blocking day. So all the cameramen and boom operators and gaffers and God knows who these people are. And I 
said, excuse me, can I have everybody's attention? We have a very special guest on the set today, Bob Elliott from Bob and Ray. Silence. Nothing. And Bob turns to me and he goes, 50 years in show business and it was worth it all for this one moment. Eventually he started recording his pieces and we had to keep doing them over and over because people were laughing and and killing the takes. So that's Bob and Ray. Now, I want to have a kind of flip here to something that goes by very fast. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the Abbott and Costello bit, Who's On First? You probably have heard like the first maybe 30 seconds of it. Have you heard the entire bit? Because the entire bit is much longer But it is really funny. And you talk about comic timing. Wow. So here in its entirety is Bud Abbott and Lou Costello and their famous Who's On First routine. Well, Costello, I'm going to New York with you. You know, Bucky Harris, the Yanks manager, gave me a job as coach for as long as you're on the team. Look, Abbott, if you're the coach, you must know all the players. I certainly do. Well, you know, I, mean, I never met the guys, so you'll have to tell me their names, and then I'll know who's playing on the team. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you their names, but you know, strange it may seem, they give these ballplayers nowadays very peculiar names. You mean funny names? Strange names, pet names, like Dizzy Dean and His brother Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm their French cousin. French? Gouffet. Gouffet Dean. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, let's see. We have on the bags, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find I out. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Are you the manager? Yes. You're going to be the coach, too? Yes. And you know the fellow's name? Well, I should. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean, the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? Yes. <laughs> Look, you got a first baseman? Certainly. Who's playing first? That's right. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is the fellow's name on first base. Who? The guy that gets the That's money. That's it. Who gets the money on he first base? He does, every dollar. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Who's what? Yes. <laughs> With that. Look, all I want to know is when you sign up the first baseman, how does he sign his name to the Who? contract? The guy. Who? How does he sign his That's name? That's how he signs it. Who? Yes. <laughs> all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, don't change the players. I'm right? not changing nobody. Take it easy, buddy. I'm only asking you who's the guy on first base? That's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Name on first base. No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on who's second. Who's on first? I don't know. Oh, he's on third. We're not talking about him. Now, let's get... now, how did I get on third base? Why, you mentioned his name. If I mentioned a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? What's on first? What's on second? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. <laughs> Now, who's playing third base? Why do you insist on putting who on third base? What am I putting on third? Uh, what is on second? You don't want who on second? Who is on first? I don't know. Third, third base? <laughs> Look, you got outfield? Sure. The left fielder's name. Why? I just thought I'd ask. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? I'm not. Stay out of the infield. <laughs> I want to know what's the guy's name in left field. No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on who's second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third, third base? base. <laughs> Why? 
Because. Oh, he's center field. He just can't. Look, look, look. You got a pitcher on a team? Sure. The pitcher's name? Tamara. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, then man. Go ahead. Tamara. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow? You're going to tell me who's pitching. Now, listen. Who is not pitching? I'll who break is... your arm, you say. Who's on first? <laughs> I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. Got a catcher? Certainly. The catcher's name. Today. Today. And Tamar's pitcher. Now you've got it. All we got is a couple of days on the team. <laughs> I get behind the plate, do some fancy catching. Tomorrow's pitching on my team, and a heavy hitter gets up. Yes. Now, the heavy hitter bunched the ball. When he bunched the ball, me being a good catcher, I'm going to throw the guy out of first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, that's all you have to do. Is to throw the ball at first base. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. <laughs> Look, if I throw the ball at first base, somebody's got to get it. Now, who has it? Naturally. Who? Naturally. Naturally? Naturally. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. No, you don't. You throw the ball in a hole. Naturally. That's different. That's what I said. You're not saying that. I throw the ball in naturally. You throw it to who? Naturally. That's it. That's what I said. Listen, you ask me. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. Now you ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's it. Same as you. <laughs> don't change your mind. Same as you. I throw the ball to who? Whoever it is drops the ball and the guy runs a second. Yes. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it to, I don't know. I don't know, throws it back to tomorrow. Triple play. Yes. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be caught. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't give a darn. What? what? I said I don't give a darn. Oh, that's our shortstop. I'm an idiot. Who's on first by Abbott and Costello. Okay, finally, I want to play something that I produced, uh, along with Tom Greenlee and a few other people. This is actually a parody. There was a company in the early 70s that made radio jingles, and their concept was that you would play the song and they would get singers who matched the actual singers of the song, and over the intro, they would sing the name of the radio station. So the idea was it almost seemed like Karen Carpenter was actually singing the call letters of your radio station. It was really cheesy. It never really worked. It just sounded awful. It was stupid. And so I, along with a couple of friends, put together a demo called Septic Singovers, and I'm not going to play the whole demo because a lot of it is inside baseball radio. But uh, here is a montage of our septic singover jingles for radio stations. Everybody's heard about KH. Everybody's heard about the bird.
Singovers, you know, some of those were actually better than the actual jingles that the other companies made for real. And that will do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine. It's going to do it for this year of Hollywood and Levine. I will be back the first week of January with new episodes. In the meantime, uh, I invite you to scroll through and, you know, check out some of the archived episodes. There's three or four really good ones out of 255. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. I'm available via email, Levine at Outlook.com. That's Levine at Outlook.com. Also on Twitter, at Ken Levine, on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Hope you have a great holiday season. Happy New Year, and we will see you in 2022 right here on Hollywood and Levine. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.